Hello and welcome to the Wig Talks Brilliant or Bust podcast. I am Christy King, your host. And I'm Nick Pierce. Today's show is sponsored by Object Matrix, Vidi Spine, and Zixi. We are welcoming a really, really interesting guest today. I'm super excited that he made some time for us. His name is Alon Cohen, and he is with an organization that is now with Endeavor. Uh, we used to work together years ago at the UFC. Now he's gone on to much bigger and better things. And so he's gonna join us to talk about all kinds of fun stuff that has to do with data, data analytics, aligning that sports data with live broadcasts and what happens to that data after the fact. Yeah, it's an absolutely fascinating conversation. I think certainly the the introduction that alone gives uh, gives a real insight into a lot of the data capture and processing and, and analytics that goes along with uh, the UFC that, you know, I, I guess most of us don't see because, as he says, they, they don't show a lot of it in fight situation. But again, you know, the, the discussions we had about collating data, how much is too much, et cetera, and what, what gets seen, what doesn't, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, and when we dived into what effect 5G may or may not have on how data syncs with live uh, distribution, we talk about the the value of encoding and some of the workflow processes and how some of those efficiencies, if they got improved, they're gonna make they could make a pretty significant reduction in cost at an operational level. Super not sexy stuff, but really important to those of us who nerd out in the media industry. Yeah, I think it's it's always good to have someone calling Mr. Bolton out as well. On, right. on, <laughs> but you know, as usual, Eric uh, Eric had a, a completely brilliant answer in terms of it's horses for courses and where you use it and how it can bring value. And I think uh, I think his his answer won uh, won the round in the end by three oh two seven points. There you go. Yeah, obviously we have a lot of stuff to talk about. And it was a really good conversation. So let's get started. Super. My name is Alon Cohen. I'm uh, SVP and I lead the 3027 team at UFC. And the 3027 team is so named because UFC is a member of the Endeavor family. 3027 is the score you would get if you won a unanimous decision in a three round fight in UFC. But if you heard 3027 and you were some rando and had no idea what we were, it would be non threatening. And I will, in the course of explanation, tell you about some of the other sports that we handle. And it would be weird to have what my prior company was as part of the moniker. And we did it there as well. So my genesis is we started, myself and Rami Ganauer started a company called Fight Metric 11 years ago. That company was the genesis of Rami coming to me with a banker's box full of paper. And that banker's box full of paper was him devising a scoring system for mixed martial arts. He had watched MMA as a fan. He had been a sports journalist uh, and a... Uh, best practices consultant before that. And he's used to writing the article that says like, here's the thing that happened. And then here's, you know, a summary of the game and here's the stats. And then here's my analysis. And that paragraph just couldn't be written for mixed martial arts at the time he was watching the ultimate fighter and some of the events. And he started to just try to figure out what's relevant. It turns out one of the things we do not count for official purposes in MMA, and it sounds crazy to people is I do not care if I punched you or I kicked you, because that is not statistically relevant. It is, to those of you who are familiar with tennis, serve speed. I don't care how fast you hit the ball. I mean, we love seeing how fast you hit the ball. It's incredible how, how fast you hit the ball. But if I hit it right to your forehand, I will lose that point. <laughs> no matter what, it can come in at 122 miles an hour. If it's coming right to my forehand, it's over. And that's the same 
problem with MMA, if it's coming to your head, this fight is going to end. If it is coming to your gut, maybe, somewhat, not as much. That was one of his first insights, and we came up with a statistical system that is still the official stat system, almost untouched. There are some chunky edits and improvements we've made over time. We have something like 65 data points per fighter per round. So it's a lot of data coming in on the official side. We built live, we built motion tracking. We've gotten involved in everything since then into the art. Once we were acquired four years ago, we moved into an R&D role at UFC. We've since launched UFC Fight Clock, which is uh, everybody else goes to an arena and they have an installed clock by a popular company and it's all got copper wire everywhere and it's just hooked up like that. You just send electric uh, impulses over the wires and it's synced. And we can't do that because we move our sport all the time. And so we had to figure out a way to get that level of accuracy, not unlike how you would do video accuracy, into a timing product. And then we put that on LEDs around the octagon. And that was probably, I wouldn't say the most major change, but among the most major changes that have been made to the visual appearance of UFC and mixed martial arts since its inception. So that was a pretty big one. Uh, we have done other sports over time. My experience includes uh, World Surf League, where we rebuilt scoring and graphics entirely so they could give you a top shelf production and make the sport look as if you were producing it in an enormous, expensive satellite truck, you know, at the back of an established stadium where, in fact, we were in the sand uh, over multiple dunes with pieces of fiber, literally like kissing the ocean as they went from one place to the other, sometimes in tents, sometimes in shipping containers. I mean, they're a top flight sport. They really... They're an Olympic sport and they needed that, but they operate in this environment that's completely different from anything else we've seen. We did van skateboarding. Uh, we currently do Miss Universe. And you can imagine that Fight Metric, which was the original name of our company, was not a great Miss Universe name. <laughs> and we did World's Strongest Man. So at one point we joked that there are certain times if you go to a World's Strongest Man competition, the breakfast buffet is split in twain. There's like the bacon hash brown side <laughs> where everybody eats. And then there's like the egg whites, you know, that side of the, and we joke that like between Miss Universe and World's Strongest Man, like we handled that side of the buffet. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, what we currently do now is this R&D role at UFC. Very interesting. I love this stuff, of course. What I was so interested to see is how you guys were going to sync data with the live event. How were you going to attach information to what was happening in the moment? Not that it necessarily rendered anywhere right away, but even just to sync the the exact second that hit happened and mm -hmm. keep track of that throughout a fight. How did you guys solve that time connection issue? So I don't think it's a surprise if I say this. That is a problem that is continuously being solved. Somebody will solve it. It will be good enough. And then it will suddenly somebody will say, well, what about this other thing that's coming? So I'll, I'll answer your question by, by taking a detour if that's okay. Right. We have solved that problem in many ways. In certain areas, EBS XML tagging has allowed us to relatively quickly solve that problem and be able to just send stuff into that universe and know very quickly. Sometimes that tagging has simply been through the media asset management system, both before and after. So sometimes we're doing it live, but sometimes someone will simply say in a non-statistical way, this was awesome, right? And to have a system, uh, and I, I don't know how far you go into who uses what products, but uh, Christy, you know a product we, <laughs> we use. And once you tag it in one place, it just cascades all the way down 
through every other clip that might incorporate that piece of time code, and that's a standard feature. We have a separate problem, uh, and this is the digression, which is the time we film and the time you need to see it are no longer the same. You know, now gaming is the thing, right? Metadata and then statistics and gaming are in love with each other. And the problem that you run into is that in gaming, I have to get everybody video faster than the rest of the world so we can avoid court sighting. So in some instances, I'll simply put a human on site. In other instances, I'll say, well, those humans need to be on site. In fact, we uh, rebuilt scoring entirely around gaming because we had to be able to bifurcate the things that we could say, for example, officially as soon as humanly possible and the things that we could not say officially as soon as humanly possible. And so it'll be no surprise to those of you who have watched mixed martial arts. We are not golf. In golf, somebody takes a stroke. We know pretty quickly what happened. We've added a whole lot of data with the flight trackers of various kinds. And those are pretty quickly able to overlay for us officially exactly what happened. And then the world stops. And maybe another golfer is taking a shot, but that's that other golfer. And this golfer is only going to take another shot in a couple minutes. Football has a similar cadence, even basketball in the return from basket to basket. But if I hit you in the face with my left hand, all I have to do is bring my right hand around. I can hit you in the face with the right hand. And that's an entirely different statistical piece. And you can do it back to me. And so being able to do that officially in the moment is nigh impossible today for a human being, which is how we still score. That's the thing that we're struggling with. So we said, okay, we can't do that officially. So we bifurcated the things that we could do officially and the things that we couldn't do officially. And these are delivered, you know, second, under a second. And these are delivered when we can make them official. And then we give you unofficial data in the interim to give you a sense. So that's how we've thought about that side of the world. But if your, bro if your cough drop in your broadcast is seven seconds, mm -hmm. your DR, now I'll give you our delivery methods. We deliver through ESPN Plus. We deliver through Fight Pass. We deliver terrestrially. We deliver through teleports all over the world. And each of those hops takes different amounts of time. Going to Texas and going to Brazil and going to Russia and going to Korea and going to New Zealand are all different time times. And usually we're doing it two different ways, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm usually doing it via satellite and I'm also doing it via internet. And so you might be watching my fight at, quite literally, we'll be watching at a second and a half, instantaneously, a second and a half, not seven seconds and nine seconds. I think ESPN Plus gets to 15 seconds. Fight Pass is a little bit beyond that. And then there are people who are well beyond that for reasons of regulatory intrusion, whatever it is, they're well beyond that. And I have to be able to say, when you do this and you go on your app, you don't suddenly get data that's in the next round and you're like what's going on and syncing that stuff up and who needs that and who doesn't need that who cares and who doesn't care and how much and how we do all that that's when i say we are constantly relearning how to do this with some technologies that are new and some technologies that are old right the player can know what time it is and therefore signal back to something which can then overlay it with the correct data we've done that we can also use audio fingerprinting all sorts of techniques to be able to get things to sync up but that that part is not i think baked uh, I think that some of the other stuff, the, Christy, the stuff you and I were working on a decade ago, that stuff is baked. People know how to do that and they know how to do that right. I think this new stuff is not baked, which is weird because Shazam is just audio fingerprinting and that is a decade <laughs> old, but we, whatever. How are you able to differentiate between kind of what's um, what's useful and engaging and, um, and, and kind of 
is bringing in the audience on the data that you're providing and and kind of uh, and shift and, and shift that around and uh, and make sure that um, that that's kind of ever holding their attention so i, I think what and doesn't overload people because i think you know mm -hmm. one of the things that i think we've we've we struggle with slightly in in if you like sort of traditional broadcasts rather than sort of live feeds for example is for a long time people have kind of been selling selling as metadata solutions says you can tag all this stuff at the individual frame well that's kind of great but we can't even get people to look at the EPG properly. <laughs> in the live world, how is it? How are you kind of making the determination on kind of you know, what's engaging and, and how much you change it around? I think in the first case, um, you will see less data in a UFC mm. broadcast than you will see. For example, if you watch an American football game, at every throw, this came in with the latest Super Bowl package. You just see those little things tick up. Troika built that and they're working with us and they've worked with us in the past. So we, we got a chance to really dive into that with them. And it was very nice to see, right? It's very subtle. You're not, you don't have to see it if you don't want to see it, but you can see what every new statistic is. So that is actually a reasonable layering of data for an audience that is fully ready for it. And in a game where my plays are seven seconds and my replays are 15 seconds, and then I get seven seconds of something and then boom, we're in the next play. But most of the action on screen is actually not live right? It's, it, the play is unadorned. We actually usually drop things away entirely like they did for the ESPN Monday Night Football, which was a great idea. Our fights are in some ways unadorned, right? The, that's what you tuned in to see. You want to see two pugilists. And if I have something to tell you, once in, right, in five minutes in football, you will see like, I, I don't keep count, 50 statistics, a lot. In five minutes in UFC, you're going to see like nine statistics. And that, that's because we have a lot of information on walk-in, a lot, like streak information, ranking information, divisional matchups, all of that kind of stuff. That happens on lead-in, walk-in, build-up, introductions, you get odds, all of that stuff happens there. Inside of the fight itself, we are very judicious about that. And we are exploring whether... For our audience, it makes more sense now to include a little more, right? Football took a long time to get to where it is. And baseball, I would say, still isn't there. We all have now the strike zone, and we always know what, when the pitch comes in to the point where that's ubiquitous and everybody's comfortable. But there was like 100 years of baseball where that didn't happen. And so it just took a little bit. I, I was going to answer your question and say, but there is that second layer of uh, viewing experience. I can't call it a second screen in the case of MLB TV, which I think has the most successful overlay technology of anyone and certainly the most mature, right? They've been doing that for a while. And you can basically not see the game if you want to by the time you bring in all the overlays <laughs> of what they allow you to see, but you get to choose that and you can see it whenever you want. And so that is, I think, the, the two extremes. So for us, we don't use the metadata right now in that sense, not in the, mm -hmm. not in the primary broadcast. Um, we offer many second screen experiences in a gaming environment, a non-gaming environment through ESPN. All, everybody has those, but those are intended to be second screen. We don't have an integrated system like MLB TV does currently, but where that manifests for us is in the ecosystem around the fight, right? So we say, I, I have joked in years past, I think things have shifted since I said it, but it, one of the things fight metric built for UFC many years ago was something we called Twitter cues, tw Twitter questions. And it was an understanding that Twitter was the UFC second screen experience. People were like on Twitter arguing about who was cool and why they were cool. Right. So I don't need to build a second screen application. That's in fact, a third screen and nobody gets to third screens. 
So why don't I build it into Twitter? I'll ask a question through UFC social media on Twitter. You'll answer it on Twitter. And at the time, there was no such thing as Twitter polling. And when there was Twitter polling, they didn't give us an API to it. So we had to do all this stuff ourselves. <laughs> but we were able to then bring that information back into the broadcast. And that's, a, that's one explanation of why we think the way we think about this. My social media team right now, mm. they are looking for metadata to slurp out key moments because they don't want to just say like, oh, what a big hit. Like you, how many times can you really do that? And people are still going to watch, but you can say, and this is something that we have started doing and we're, I'm going to break a little news. We're going to just start to debut one of these features on our social that says not at the end of the evening, this was fight of the night, but here are the milestones that this person hit. Because it is true that you can see like, here's an exceptional performance, but it's much more meaningful when we're like, uh, you'd be the third fighter this year to actually have exceeded 250 significant strikes in the course of all your fights this year. Or you're the hundredth person all time to hit this many takedowns in your UFC career, but only the fourth in your div weight division, for example. So that makes for a much more meaningful social post. And that comes flying in between round one and round two or right after this fight and before the next one. And it starts to fuel a conversation that is, I think, more substantive. So when you want to talk about metadata and the kinds of things that you are doing that with that and what are you layering it into, we can go into all the various tools and there are a thousand of them. And they do similar things in slightly different ways. But that's basically what we're doing is we're saying, look, the data aura around the sport is giving us an opportunity to A, say only the intelligent things on air, right? So if you need to know how many strikes somebody threw, that's the story right now, that's great. But if some other thing is not the story right now, if it's, you know, their motion statistic is not the story right now, we're not going to talk about that. So we're only going to curate that experience down to its essence. And we're going to hand that to a human being. The other side of it is, okay, but people are having a conversation about the thing that you're doing in other places. How can we fuel that conversation and use that on fight night and post fight night to create video and, and other digital assets that live on and fuel our communities? Sometimes underneath fighters individually, sometimes underneath regions, sometimes underneath the parent uh, you know, account, wherever that is. Holding people in the moment, and uh, and then when they when they come out of the moment and want to go exploring, you you giving them that multi layer. That's fantastic. So I'm curious. That's an interesting way to ask that question because I think people. If I said that to my social team, I'd like to throw it back to you guys. You know, to me, when you say holding people in the moment, is someone who is watching a punting app like Bet Three Six Five, and they have the feed and they're sitting there picking individual bets. Is that person in the moment or out of the moment? Is that person who's talking on Twitter with their with their friends about the fights while they're watching it at home, is that person in the moment or out of the moment? And to me, I think in the past, I would have said out. But I believe that the people I work with who are digital natives, they see that as being in. If I'm watching rugby and a, a page full of stats comes up as the action's going on, I'm like, get those stats out of the bloody way. I want to watch the rugby, right? And then as a as an older person, the joy is the next morning buying six newspapers and reading all the stats, right? And reading what other people thought. So I love watching rugby in the moment, but then getting the stats afterwards. So if I'm on Twitter, I'll follow the Opta Johnny account, which gives you so many great statistics about the individual players or or moves. Or there's a guy called Squidge Rugby that breaks apart games in a really interesting way. So I think it's, for me, the stats are more of an aftermarket thing that I will consume as much and enjoy as much as I enjoy the live in the moment thing. 
I think, you know, if I look at, um, if I kind of look at my son, who also enjoys rugby, so, so, so you know, Nick and I are very much of that persuasion, um, then he's got, he's got his phone and he's, and, he, and he's got an eye on the screen. And, and you're right, he's kind of in the moment, but it's a different, um, it's yeah. a different moment to the one that we're in. And there are sports that almost need this badly, right? Like I was, I was actually, before I came up here, I was having some breakfast and I was watching extended highlights of the Tour de France extended highlights of the Tour de France with 30 minutes. Think about that. Like that's a television show in any other sport, but for the Tour de France, they're showing you like a tiny fraction of what actually happened in the event, but all of these layering ins need to be in the broadcast. So I formula one fan. Um, and in formula one, there's an oftentimes a stretch in the middle of the race where you're like, this guy isn't even close to this guy. How are they even racing each other? And then they have all the AWS stuff come in and they're like, well, this guy will be in range of that guy in seven laps. So suddenly you have something that's like a counter and it's like seven laps. It's like, wait, it said seven laps last lap and now it says eight laps. So he's slowing down. And you can start to follow some of those storylines that hardcore fans could figure out. But if you were you were just listening to the commentators and you weren't familiar, like, I don't, I don't understand what's happening. Like these guys are going around and that guy was in first, now he's in seventh. That other guy's now in I don't understand what's happening. And I think that those sports need those things layered in. But I think in rugby, rugby is very much like like MMA in that a lot of things are happening at once and it doesn't, it's continuous clock, it doesn't stop. I just watched UEFA. UEFA is an example of something where that's a lot of pitch and a lot of swing and a lot of stuff that comes wholly unadorned, wholly unadorned, right? Why, where is the little graphics? I know you're tracking it. I've been to the ice conference. I know what you can do visually. I know that you probably are doing visually and between Hawkeye and, you know, sport radar and whoever it is, you know, where everybody is on that, on that pitch. You know how many touches that people are getting. You understand their passing distances. You understand whether they've been flooding the right or the left. I don't see any of that. I don't hear any of that. Um, and so that's their editorial choice. I suspect one of two things is probably going to happen in certain leagues, right? Where if, and I think it's probably going to happen in Britain first because they're so mature in the gaming space that, and maybe I'm just ignorant of this, but I haven't seen it yet, is maybe you get a punter dashboard and that punter dashboard is starting to give you some of that feedback so you can see the things that are invisible to you on screen as a human because you just can't put that stuff together while you're watching it live. Or they do a, they do what we've done here for basketball and they have like a gaming cast and stuff like that. And I think that's where, when we, you, you hear me leaning into gaming, it's one of the few things in the world where as a fan, you absolutely positively have to know the extraneous data that's around the field right now, because everything else can wait a little bit, right? Everything else can wait replay amounts of time, 15, 20, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we were talking about before Eric joined, so I want, I'm pretty sure he'll probably want to follow up on this because his world is live streaming. If you'll recall the Zixi folks, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, we were talking about data and latency and I was going to launch into this thing about, well, great. Then how do you layer in all that tech, all those statistics into metadata for VOD and a lot of other stuff, but we'll mm-hmm. hold that for a second. He was talking about latency issues and what's going on. We've had some conversations with this group about 5G a lot and how that's gonna (laughs) potentially solve a lot of problems. And I love that you're laughing. So Eric, (laughs) say something about 5G to Alon so we can have this conversation. I'll start if you want. Whatever. Has anybody here (laughs) in this chat ever actually used 
5G. I don't mean what it says 5G on my cell phone. No. I mean five millimeter wave. This is, is going to be interesting. I, I'm going I'm to settle in for this. <laughs> I, I, I have my uh, my vaccine jab, so I know all about 5G now. Uh, so, so I actually have used 5G, and uh, yeah, it's kind of um, just like 4G. <laughs> in, in all honesty, in um, in a very it, when I'm kind of standing very still in a particular part of a town. So we're not yet we we haven't got that flood um, that flood coverage yet. It's sort of you drop in and out of 5G all the time. Eric, I cut I cut off the question though, and I apologize. Go ahead. No, I I needed that I needed that layup. That was the intro because you know if you're gonna start somewhere, throw the gauntlet down and lay it out. I will have to say I have actually I haven't used it in my hand because I am stuck in Patagonia for different reasons, but my teams have used it fairly extensively, and we've been in production pilot since September of last year. And a couple of things: one, it is not well widespread and there is 5g and there's coverage and there's generally and, and in the north american context it's a little difficult from a consumer because for some reason the u.s government has allowed anything that's not pure 4g to be called quote 5g so 4g lte gets considered that and all of that but getting to ultra wideband and real 5g exists in places works in concert with cloud-like wavelength zones that Amazon has so that you can get in and get out. I would have expected production to lead the charge. Our first major project is actually distribution to 500 MSOs, but we are following with our good friends in hockey to put in a bunch of 5G. We started some pretty big testing on just um, mobile and, and mobile phone things um, within some of the venues. For one, 4G LTE is actually pretty impressive and we've seen some 100 200 megabit things, but obviously if there's a bunch of people, there's no favorable network slicing, all kinds of other things that will hit your quality of service. But when we were really lighting up and we will be continuing that testing project once we get past certain season points, it's gonna be available. And I think it is gonna organically grow out of venue-like experiences. I think that the natural path to the adoption of this technology is to show it. Look at the reaction that we got out of this group. It was like a 5G. Meh, I was uh, had these great expectations. It was not what I thought. It was not as advertised. But the truth is, underlying all of that, and Verizon must have told you a hundred times by now, this is going to be a big deal. And I think that you know we were testing up to five gigabits of throughput on a single tower, and you're going to have all kinds of different radio and pieces. You're going to have different immersive experiences, and you're going to do things like yeah, you're not going to have entire global ubiquitous video everywhere tomorrow, but you will be able to go into NBA, NHL, NFL stadiums and infrastructures and connect to Las Vegas and sports books, for example. And you're going to be able to have sub five, even end to end sub 500 millisecond latency on there it is. That's the key. The latency, yeah, latency. issue thing. Because everybody on the back end of this, the production end of this, which is very much related to what we were talking about, is right now, today, when you have a sport or a, something that's going on, but let's just stick with sports, that has a lot of stuff happening in a really small period of time, latency or lack thereof will open or close your production choices, the things that you can show on the screen, the thing that you may decide is too much or it's too delayed or to Elon's point, 
what is official results versus what's observed results. I'm not sure that's the jargon you guys use, but that's how it works in my head. But that yeah. that produ those production choices, those things that 5G could open up to allow you to have that much more information associated to every moment in time is what's interesting to me about the data aspect of 5G and the latency. We are already well capable of latencies that may not be 500 milliseconds but much better than we are at, right? Like the latencies I gave you were not 500 milliseconds, they were 15 and 20 seconds. That is not a transmission problem. That's a DRM processing multicast problem. Basically, how do you think about that in the context of the promise of ultra low latency from 5G? Those things are inserted because of a business need. Yeah. Oh. yeah, and so how do you see those two playing together? unless the business needs change, or you can provide the for those business needs at a much faster cadence. But then we're not talking about the latency of 5G. We're really talking about the improvement in the processing speed of multicast systems and DRM systems. So talk to me about how you guys think about that. So you've got, you get three legs of this tool, right? When you talk about multicast, there is say, take HLS. I mean, you can blow out latency to 45 seconds to 60 seconds and mm -hmm. There is structural physics and how many renditions are, is one making in a given thing? Or are you just coming up and down into the venue, right? So if you get in and out of the venue and we were playing with mobile up and down, that was getting down to 200 milliseconds. And I think part of this gets into the three legs of the proverbial stool is you've got latency, you've got overhead and you have quality of service. And then you can take from one and the other two live. So if I have, you know, I, I, if I set latency budgets extremely low, I'm going to need a lot of overhead and I'm going to have maybe trade-offs on my quality of service on a given stream. And, and in gambling, that may make a lot of sense because I may decide that beautiful quality is less rather than extreme fast data and synchronicity across that. And I think we're also talking about very defined swim lanes of workflow. It, because you're going to say, all right, I got, I'm in my venue. I've got this dedicated set of apps. I'll go pick on the, uh, the NHL right now who are doing great work with Amazon and Verizon in their venues and using a ton of data against those players, like you said, with the Hawkeyes and the pieces. And this is now going to be AI ML looked at by all the sports books and pieces. And it's going to be like goal scored in the next five minutes. Like that's a thing you can pick. And you're going to start, and that's enough to really start engaging and going that and coupons and tickets and the interaction into in the venue and having between venues and knowing when other things are scored that on any given Sunday in the NFL, your fantasy leagues are updating because there's going to be tons of gambling tied off that. If I look at what younger kids do today, they don't really watch one o'clock football games. They want to see the highlights and the updates on how their players did and across that. And I think when you take it down to those kinds of consumption subsets, it, the only thing that was standing in your way was the latency. So yeah, if I got to transcode something, I could do that in 300 milliseconds. I got to encode something at a baseline level, that's two to 400 milliseconds. But I'm still within the boundary. If I'm sub-second, that should be fast enough. And then you just change the parameter of the bet, so to speak, or the time or the interaction. And I think that there is a business model for that. And I think, quite frankly, if I were to look at a big problem set, it's how do I get a 12-year-old any buddy to go to a venue 
and care about showing up inside there. Like I was raised in Fenway Park and I thought that was a great experience. Now that's a $500 experience. It takes seven hours. No one's got. Um, why would I go there? Well, show me an infrastructure and an experience that I can't get in my house. Make it like super cool so that when I go there, my tailgate is now AR, VR enabled. I can start pre-betting and changing and doing my whole fantasy league stuff before I get in there. Two other sides of that, there's the latency and just timing of signal because if it's too slow, Christie's point, change your production. But the fact that you're going to be able to carve out business level qualities of service with the network slicing means that when I have 50,000 people in an area, you're actually going to get a signal. Uh, and that's and that's I think what's key, guys, is hey, if 5G means my phone's going to work at a venue, I'm in. <laughs> All right. And that's the thing. You show up to these live events and your phone doesn't work most of the time. But Eric, you did bring up something interesting, uh, AI. So I think I'll throw it out to the group. You know, we're doing a lot of interfacing right now with some of the large leagues that you guys have mentioned. One specific league in general, you know, every player has an RFID chip on them. The ball has an RFID chip in it. Uh, we're collecting 66 metadata fields per play per player. Uh, at what point is there too much data? You know, we go through these workflow sessions with some of these clients and we start talking about all this data that's being collected. You know, at what point do we say enough's enough? Because these systems can only handle so much. But isn't that, that's how much is enough is an argument that we've used forever, right? So the BFI, when they were digitizing ancient tape 10 years ago, they were going to the maximum quality they could, even though they couldn't play it at the time because... Yep. Who knew in the future they might need that, right? And I think that for me, if you've got the systems to, to capture, store, archive, protect, interrogate, then you capture as much as you can because what we know now is very different to what we'll know in a year's time in terms of the capability to play with these stats and what we can do with them and, and build entire games virtually and you know play out different, almost play out a different game with different endings right. because we had those stats. And what if this point that that guy didn't look left and he looked right. What could have happened? I think that you you gather as much as you can, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, I do work for a storage company, so that's <laughs> it's one of the, the key drivers of every, every decision I make. Is always do we noted that the storage guy said more data? Just more data, yeah. yes. No. However, I mean, you know, tongue in cheek, uh, I think that you, you store as much as you can in the best quality you can. Data's well, not was, very big, but there's a lot of connectivity to well, it. Which yeah, thank big. you for that, mm -hmm. by the way. You led exactly to where I wanted to go with Alon next, yeah. which was the connection to all of this data that you said. Big chunks of it you're not using right away for a couple of different reasons. Is all of that information making it to being attached, if you will, as metadata, searchable metadata in an asset management system for consumers to search by those pieces of information? Is, is that kind of stuff happening yet? No, and I don't think it needs to right now. So uh, I'll, I'll give you the simple practical example for us. And then I'm going to contradict something that you just said. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> just a little, because I think, well, let me do that first, because it's quick. Don mentioned that they're, they've got 65 pieces of data per player per play. But, and that's, you know, Zebra's running at like 10, hertz, 10 megahertz, uh, millihertz. I think I've got that right. I can't remember. But it's, it's refreshing 10, 10 times yeah. in, a, in a minute. I have field tested stuff at 100 frames a second, mm. right? So let's talk about what, I believe it's Sport Radar that signed up to do StatCast 2.0. Uh, 
Uh, they're replacing the Hawkeye systems in there, and their promise is not to know where the player is, but with, to know where his elbow and his wrist and his nose and his ear and his you know top of his head is. Mm. Well, I'm track that at 100 frames a second, and now you're talking about effectively a video stream, right? Yeah. That is that is we're starting to get to video levels of data. You want to track <laughs> X, Y on this number of points, or start to build a figure and dump that into a system. That's really really big. You now get into the same problems we have in video. So as people start to talk about AI, they start they say, well, what about the AI processing? They're like, it's not even AI processing. It looks it looks and it feels like encoding at that point. Here is just a fire hose of stuff. What the hell does it mean, and how fast can you tell me? And that becomes right. It's that's the video problem. Oh, and are we attaching the metadata to the video right now? Is your original question? And the answer is, I don't need to do that right now. So long as all of this is time coded in the video and this is time coded in the data, if in the course of an entire event, all I have to do is, and I'm wrong at the beginning, I don't have it on my, you know, truck sync time code. It's not in black first or whatever it is. So long as I can create an offset at the beginning, all of that stuff is accurate all the way through. I think Nick's point of <clears throat> take everything down in 8K should ring true to anybody who has watched the last dance about Michael Jordan. It was like, Boy, it would have been great if we if we were broadcasting that in 480, but we were taking it down in HD, we'd have it today in HD, right? And you know that because occasionally somebody had a cine cam on the side and we're taking film most of the time from them and we're able to upscale the film to an HD. So yes, we in theory should be taking everything down in 8K uh, if we could, but most people don't have that capability right now. And the practical realities are most, I've been involved in like three different broadcasts who went up to 4K and then went back down to HD. And my recommendation to all of these folks, and no one is listening, is we all went to 3D, and everybody was like, nobody wants 3D, so they shut it all down. But when we went to 3D, we went to double 60 hertz, which meant we had 120 hertz. I, I think most people would rather see unblurry American football or rugby in HD than they would to see 4K blurry football, right? <laughs> And, and people don't get that. But when you watch in 120 that isn't interpolated, that is 120 in, 120 out, mm -hmm. that's that's that phase change. But nobody knows how to explain 120 hertz at a Best Buy, so nobody can really get it going. Well, I, I still, yeah, I mean, I agree that. And obviously, you know, there is a, a resources limit as well. But I think on the stats side, as much as you get in that fire hose of stats, I think the stats you should be generating and keeping. To echo on Alon's point, but tie back to Don. So it is funny. I would say... 99.9% .9 of consumers have never seen HD in a truck. And if you saw 25 megabits, you'd be like, wow, that was really great. Why, that's not my HD. I thought HD was, was crappy. And it's mind-blowing. And if you see real 4K, that's amazing. But we've, you know, YouTube's been listing 4K for five years, and we know what that is and isn't. The, the data and the data streams and isn't, we are just, I mean, these are new days, right? So AIML is just starting to, to get there. I would say, Don, because you kicked this ball around, is yeah. where's the data list? How much data do you need? In an infinite world, you want to keep all the data. You just, because you, you do. But we are going through what we call our intelligent data platform. We're trying to learn and balance on a transmission layer. How does quality of transport work with quality of service in terms of uptime work with quality of content, audio, video essence, and the metadata that's required? And what does this mean to a quality of experience 
in terms of setting it because you might set something for a Super Bowl that's going to have a B2B quality of experience versus my trout fishing where I'm going to have a slightly smaller audience. What we're learning as we are moving, we little Zixi are moving from 3 billion mm-hmm. telemetry data points a day to within a month, we're going to have 30 billion. Wow. We're try- you're trying to figure out which data. It's not all the data. Like we're in our little world looking for an anomaly detection and event correlation right. and trying to understand a blast radius that would set the stage for all these other things hanging off it. Mm-hmm. But what, like, it's not all the data that has to come together with some ML engine to tell you there are critical pieces of data that we, the industry, are trying to figure out which ones are they. Because we'll be tracking more of certain things than other folks will track and what they're trying to achieve and hold the player and the stuff. And this is a generational engine issue that's going to then figure out what you're actually really supposed to it's going to it's like some trading thing it's going to come down to like three to five things that you're watching i think you're making you're making a really good point so i I think one of the one of the kind of the the tricky things about you know about kind of current um, excitement about you know ai ml um so whatever whatever you want to call that um, that that field is um is that the everybody's kind of fixated on the um well yeah how, how do we how do we get more data scientists how we get the people to, to to interpret this stuff and actually the kind of the dirty secret is the um is the really hard bit is um is actually getting the data together it's collating it into a format that can actually be understood and rendered cleanly time after time after time after time which is kind of uh, which actually is is back down to to kind of real basics of engineering before we let the clever people anywhere um, anywhere near it and I think that's that's one of the things that um, that, that's starting to kind of break through and, and get people people starting to realize that um, actually, like as with a lot of the things we do, with getting the basics right and repeatable is kind of really critical. Yeah, but again, if you think about you were AWOL on the call on Wednesday, uh, and we talked about time code metadata and how the fact that Cynthia may be working on a standard, but we don't have a standard. This industry is is completely underbaked. It's got a soggy middle and a crispy edge, right? It's it's how it is. And it's the same for metadata. It's the same for what we're building in terms of AI and ML. And until we agree on those three or five standard bits of information that we can all share, we're all going to be running around doing our own shit all the time. I don't <laughs> think we ever will. No, I know. We might not. I mean, we we have had this problem for a long time, right? A You walk in and a Sony and a grass, if you walk in a Sony, a Sony TD and a Grass Valley TD, if you get a special person, they can work across. Yeah, but it is these systems are very complex, and that's a that's like the core system, and it's actually an application sitting on top of the core, and that's much harder. But yeah, to me, as someone who was coming into the television industry from the outside entirely, I wasn't grown up from the inside. I was walking in as a technologist trying to understand how things work. It is obscene to me that NTP is free, and that I'm blanking on the name of the. There is a now one level faster. Oh, PPTP. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. So that is free, right? And is you can run it on a Pi. But if I go buy a clock system, like a truck's clock sync system, I'm going to pay 10 grand for that unit. That disconnect and, and the fact that the, the different units don't really work with each other as well as they ought to, right? Because I can't get all the various in outputs that I need from this one system usually, or that's a $25,000 system. I now need a PPTP output plus a Blackbirth plus a, you know, whatever it is I need for the various systems I'm running. Uh, and if I want to use Tentacle along with it, it's another hassle entirely, right? That that fact is one of the problems. I've been fighting a fight inside of the broadcast for a little bit, which is like, we, if we were less siloed, 
Mm-hmm. And I get it, right? People want to build their little ecosystems and invite people in and keep people out, right? Yep. If you're in the VizRT ecosystem, you don't like the Chiron Higo system. If you're, let's go pick on somebody. If you're in the EBS system, you certainly don't like anybody outside that system. If you're in the NDI new tech system, you don't want to play outside of that system. And I'll pick on them last because we own a SMPTE 2110 MCR. God help us. <laughs> <laughs> I, all of the all of the copper that we need to convert into Cinti 2110 and the systems necessary to do that, NDI is one of those. Uh, if they just open source that, it could have become an industry standard, and we could all you could see full control rooms running on NDI. And by the way, you could plug in any average Mac or PC or your phone and just pipe stuff in. You find me something that works for iPhone that that streams out in Cinti 2110, really. Like that's adorable. <laughs> Nobody does that. And and as a result, we don't have these things because we keep building our little silos. Now, you're right. If we could overlay some of the systems, and my view, by the way, is we talk about AI and ML. I think that right now, the other thing we do as an industry is we love things that are shiny. Makes sense. We're in the shiny industry, right? Yeah. We like things that are shiny. If they blink, even better. But what we don't do is some of the blocking and tackling as well. And there are people for whom it makes money. And what I mean by that is as follows. If you had an AI ML system, uh, it's almost entirely ML, computer vision, ultra fast for folks like Zixi. And I'm going to say something that you guys are probably well familiar with. It just isn't getting as much conversation because it's not sexy. The people who are looking at dynamic encoding of video, right? So as video gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, if we can figure out, and we'll use the most ridiculous a metaphor of GIF and JPEG. If you can figure out which of your pictures are like me, where nothing back here is moving, I'm maybe the most, maybe I need a JPEG uh, codec and the rest of you can use a GIF codec because I move too much. But when you're watching full motion, you want a JPEG style codec, right? And to be able to figure out in real time, in the smallest available chunks, which of those two codecs I can use so that I can get all the savings of my GIF codec the rest of the time and only use my JPEG codec when I absolutely have to and cut my screen sizes by huge swaths and then make that system easily accessible and rapid on multiple architectures. So it runs just as fast on an M1 architecture as it runs on an Intel architecture. Deploy that in the field. We're suddenly going to see 4K video transmitted at, let's say, 2K speeds or just you know near HD speeds. Now we're in a world that allows us to have a conversation about what else can we layer on top? So long as our AI is focused on like pose estimation and less focused on our blocking and tackling, as I said, I think we're not going to see the AI revolution. So, uh, by the way, for, for, our, for our listening audience, um, I do realize it's um, PTP, not PPTP. So please write in and, uh, and, and uh, <laughs> shade at me um, but i think i think that if you look at kind of ai and ml okay look at um google bind DeepMind. all the kind of um all the focus was on the big sexy stuff we've got, we've got a computer that can play go better than any player in the world brilliant but actually the reason why we buy that stuff is that we can ju- reduce our data center um cooling and power costs by whatever it was 40 percent, which is a big number especially in their case so I, so I think the focus of that kind of technology on the boring but important is where we get the value out of it. And I hope we, I really hope we kind of get there. 
before we um, before people get fed up with it because i think you know another thing you said which i completely agree with and is, is always controversial is that i think if you, you know if you go and look at any box at any trade show um you'll, you'll have um, very thick labels where if you peel one off it'll say um, ai and underneath it'll say 3d and underneath it'll say um, web <laughs> services and uh, it's all the it's always the big shiny and looking at kind of why we're doing something and the actual value that we can derive from it and rather than just going big shiny is something we maybe ought to think a little bit more around in this industry well we were we were going to we were going to do one of these wig podcasts around the sort of the more quiet the quiet use of ai and ml and i know that eric was you know talking about the use Mm. of that in understanding how you can make networking more efficient and how you can do things with more efficiency rather than showing me the face of whoever in all these pictures, right? And I think that, that maybe we should pick that up again, Christy, at some point. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean, the stuff that, you know, the, the stuff that the Vnova guys have done for a while on the, on kind of codec improvements, that's, you know, that, I think that they've introduced um, some machine learning stuff in quite recently, but that came from a basic premise of can we do HD in, a, in an SD, um, and this SD bandwidth. At one organization I worked at, we, we looked at a codec which, was, uh, which looked brilliant. Facebook bought it, took it off the market because, um, because they could suddenly halve their, um, either sort of double their quality in the same bandwidth or halve their bandwidth costs. Those things are important, and, um, but, they're, they're, but they are dull. I don't think we talk about them enough, which is quite surprising because let's face it, we're not the most exciting people in the world, are we? Well, even if they're not exciting, though, it's like, do you want, if you want to get a meeting with the brass to, to green light something, you're right. If I showed them, I'm like, you know, I, I could just magically make a hologram appear in the middle of the screen. Those guys are going to take that meeting. But I'm, I'm sure I, I know this because I've done it. If you send an email and they're like, by the way, our storage costs are current. And I'm sorry, Nick, but our storage costs are currently like two and a half million a year or whatever that is. And I'm going to take that number to a million and a half a year. Yeah. They're going to take that meeting, right? Yeah. Because yeah. every one of those dollars is is a net is now a net dollar because you know all, all, every one of those dollars is a profit dollar. Mm-hmm. I think Elon, you spoke on a key point: their budgets. I think that's something that I'm having daily conversations with clients about: is how are we getting all of this for the price or the budget you have? Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to have to see some some major reshifting of of technologies or cost structures to uh, really get a lot of this implemented. But kudos to you, keep pushing keep making this great content because I think that's what's going to further engage with these other vertical markets that we're all talking with and getting that tech out there. I think that's the exciting part of this is you're making some great waves. Well, I appreciate that you guys are putting a group like this together to have a conversation about the, the challenges inside the industry at the current moment. And there is a conversation that people who aren't in broadcast have about broadcast. And then there's a conversation that people who are in broadcast have about broadcast. And it's, uh, it's nice to have that inside conversation, which is not hyper-technical, but it is about the practicalities of getting people to things that make them happy in their chairs or, you know, on the Metro or wherever they are watching. This was an awesome conversation. Thank you, Alon, so much for joining us. This was a great conversation and I'll be very excited to see what people have to say when they listen to it. So thanks guys. Thank you. Today's Wig Talks Brilliant or Bust podcast was sponsored by Vidispine, cloud-based media workflow solutions to maximize your media potential. Zixi, the global leader in broadcast quality live video over IP. Object Matrix, the cloud storage people who provide platforms that enable creative and production teams with self-serve access to media content on-premise or remotely from anywhere. Today's contributors were Hawkthorn Innovation, 
helping bring the power of modern artificial intelligence and the cloud to bear on story production, content supply chains, and media systems integration. And Christy King, LLC, a media technology consultancy and content creator.